It's good to see everybody tonight. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Last week, you guys looked at verses 7 through 11. We're actually going to be in those verses again this evening. Actually, Nick, if you could go back and you can pull me back just a little bit. Thanks, man. We're going to be in those same verses again tonight. We had, we had intended, this isn't because Chase left anything out, by the way. Uh, actually, when we mapped out the semester, right, Chase? We decided there were a couple passages of scripture. We felt like there was so much richness there that we wanted to intentionally spend a couple weeks. Just like Chase and Jeremy uh, both looked at the same passage tonight, we're revisiting the same passage, and we're going we're gonna to build on what you guys discussed last week. Uh, I know we just prayed, uh, and I'm, I'm so grateful for the time to be able to sing together, but just, again, to kind of focus our time into now the, the Word of God, let's, let's pray again and just ask the Lord to, to teach us tonight. Lord, we thank you so much for your Word that you have given us. We thank you um, that you have brought us here tonight. So um, encouraging to sing those songs of praise to you with my friends, my family, my fellow brothers, sisters in Christ. I thank you for the gift of corporate worship, um, Lord, that we, we can do this together. Uh, it's one thing to sing to you in private, and there are sweet moments, Lord, that all of us can have in private with you in prayer and singing and reading, but uh, God, I thank you that you have graciously given us moments like this where we can come together, and um, Lord, thank you for the gift of guitars and drums and pianos and harmonies and uh, that you have made it pleasing to our ears, too, Lord, that we can enjoy that and, and uh, use these different gifts to serve you. We do pray, Lord, now according to your will and your purposes, that you would do what you have intended to do this evening. We pray that you would stir affections in the hearts of those who are believers as we talk about a really uh, amazing and encouraging thing that we find in this text tonight. And also, Lord, that you would um, break down the wall of hostility between those who do not know you uh, and you, that you would graciously give eyes to see the glory of Christ tonight, that you would give life for your glory and the joy of those in this room this evening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, uh, Chase preached these verses, verses 7 through 11, beautifully and powerfully. I, I called Chase this morning. I had read his manuscript last week, and um, this morning, as I was just going over my notes again for tonight, I read over his message again last week. I, I called him, I said, I even sent it to Ellen, I was like, you should, re you should read this today. It's just such good material, and um, I was really encouraged as he, he showed us how John shows that this command to love one another, it, it, John actually says something confusing, he says in verse 7, this is not a new commandment, and then in verse 8 he goes, and at the same time it is a new commandment. And so Chase did a really good job of showing how the command to love one another is an old commandment, and yet it is uh, a new commandment, and he, he talked about three ways um, that the command to love one another is a new commandment, though it is an old one. It's new because of the emphasis of the command he talked about. Secondly is the example that we have in Christ who fulfilled the command. And third, the experience of, of this command, that we can experience uh, the love of Christ and we can experience that love in our lives and through us with others. And so um, today we, we want to take that a step further and we want to discuss what John says that this love does. 
All right, this love does something. There's a purpose for this love. And when, I, when I'm talking about this love specifically, I mean how we love God by loving one another. Specifically in the context of this letter, it's talking about our brothers and sisters in Christ. Believers, right? So I want to turn your attention back to chapter 2, verse 1. John says in chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you for what purpose? What is it? So you may not sin. All right, now think about this. So John is saying he is writing these things so that we may not sin. So this is, as, as Chase has talked about, this is one of the four reasons John gives for writing this letter. That we may not sin. In the context of this chapter, these paragraphs, John talks about the command of love. Specifically loving one another. So you would think that the challenge that John would give, I'm writing these things so you may not sin, would then be to be what? Love God, right? I mean, if you were to kind of rewrite this today in your own mind based on what you know of scriptures and say, okay, John's going to write a letter to people about how they should love and this love is going to be what enables them to not sin, how would you fill in those blanks? You would probably be writing, oh, well, then they need to love God if they want to not sin, love God, obviously. So the question here is, does John get his priorities mixed up? Isn't the way to kill sin to love God first and foremost? I don't believe that John does get it mixed up. In fact, he is repeating what Jesus himself said. As Chase spoke last week, when we are saved, we are saved by God's love. We then know his love. We love because he first loved us. We abide in his love, and we experience his love in such a way that we then love one another. So we'll talk about this tonight, but one of the fruits that we actually have been born again and fruits that we do love God is that we love one another. What John is saying here is not mixed up priorities. There's something actually very profound in the text that we find, and I want to discuss it tonight. John says he's writing this, this command is the context here. He's writing this command to love one another so that we may not sin. So think about that. He is saying, beloved, essentially, this is paraphrase, beloved, I don't want you to sin. And so I'm going to help you not sin. I'm going to give you the remedy. You ready? The remedy for you to not sin is love one another. And again, I, I specifically want to say the context of this letter, though there's plenty of passages in the New Testament and Old Testament that talk about loving the world, serving the world, uh, bringing the gospel to the world, this love that John is talking about is love that I would have for brother or sister in Christ and they would have for me. And John is saying this is one of the ways that you actually stop sinning. This is pretty radical. It means that one of the gracious, God-given means of killing sin that we have today is through our love for one another. And John, in verses 7 through 11, breaks it down in four different ways. Four things that this love for one another produces. And so let's read the text, and then I'll give you the four things, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. A lot of the same 
wording and imagery that you see in chapter 1. If you remember, verse 6 says, If we say we have fellowship in him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And so you have this like dark light imagery of lying or practicing the truth, and now it's the same thing happening again, but in the context of how we love and serve one another. And I want to remind you, every time you see walking in light, in the light, abiding in the light, if you look back with me, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, look at verse 5 with me. This is the message we've heard from him proclaimed to you that what? God is light, okay? So, so John actually makes it very uh, important statement at the beginning of his letter that, hey, I'm going to be referring to light, and really what I mean is God. So walking in light, you're walking in God. Abiding in light, you're abiding in God. If you're living in darkness, you are not in God. Does that make sense? So when we see that in this text, that's what he's referring to. So there's four things that we're going to discuss tonight that... that is uh, what love does, what love allows for us to do. The first thing, I'll read all four and then we'll talk about them. The first one is loving one another. That's the command given here. Loving one another is evidence that we are in God. Okay? Number two, loving one another keeps us abiding in God. Number three, loving one another prevents stumbling. Prevents a continuous practice of sin. And number four, loving one another reveals God's will. The title of my message tonight is Loving One Another as a Means to Kill Sin. So we'll start with number one. We see in this text that John teaches that loving one another is evidence that we are in God. And I want to do, what I want to do with each four, of these four points tonight is I actually want to, I want to remain um, there will be a few times where I'll pull some texts from other places in the New Testament. Obviously, the Scripture as a whole talks about this. And, and you'll be thinking throughout the night of, well, this verse makes sense. And yes, you could have used that. But I actually want to stay in the context of First John. So I'm going to be giving a lot of proof text tonight of what John has already said in chapter 1 and what he's going to say in the rest of chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5. Because this is essentially his letter. I mean, it, it, Jason and I have the conversation often. It's like last week we were talking about love in a different sense and one of the conversations that Chase and I had was like, we're going to have like 16 more weeks to explain this because it's, it's basically the whole, the whole letter. So I want to stay in 1 John. All right, so number one, loving one another is evidence that we are in God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 9, in our text, look at verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. In other words, you, you can look at somebody who is not loving his brother and you can say there's no evidence that you are actually saved. There's no evidence that you belong to God. It's the same warning given in 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, where it says, as I mentioned, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. We're lying. John continues this great commandment logic here. And, and this is why I mentioned, too, he's not mixing up his priorities. If you remember, Jesus himself said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, right? And hence, that is why in 1 John chapter 1, you, you see, if we say we have fellowship with him, not loving one another, if we say we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, we lie. That's the first part of the great commandment, right? The second is like it, hence 2 John, or 1 John chapter 2. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, he actually makes this more clear in 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 through 21. It says this, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. There you go. There's the logic. Okay, so if you love God, right, that's the first and foremost command, you will then love your brother. In fact, it is impossible, we know, to love your brother if you don't love God. In other words, John wants to be very clear about the evidence that you are reborn. You will love God and you will love your brother and sister in Christ. Now, people may think they love God, and therefore they look at 1 John, or they, they pass 1 John 2 9. But John is, is showing now hey, there is fruit here. There's fruit. If you do love God, it's not just being, uh, it's not just the commandments like hey, uh, go to church, read your Bible, don't commit adultery, don't lie. Like we think of, oh yeah, I love God because I do these things for God. And John says, if you love God, it will be evident that because you're doing these things for others, namely brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's easy as a believer to go, oh man, I am passionate about God. And yet totally be neglecting your brother and not reeling that the two have to go hand in hand. You cannot actually love God the way you think you love God if you neglect or look down or judge, not in a biblical way, your brother or your sister. That is the fruit. If you don't love one another, you are, as John says in 1 John 4, a liar. You don't love God. You're in darkness. 1 John chapter 3, verse 6, 8, and 10. Continue this. Verse 6 says, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Verse 8 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Verse 10 says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness hate, is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This continues John's first point that we just discussed. People may think that practices of sin is limited to adultery, lying, coveting, not praying, not reading, foul language, etc. But what does John say here? The command to love God is not just a vertical command. Listen, we think that the vertical, vertical command is love God and the horizontal command is love one another. John says the vertical command is love God and love one another. That is how you love God. The two aren't separate. It's, it's a vertical and horizontal command. These sins, like lying and coveting and adultery, aren't just against God. They are ultimately against His holiness, His commands, but they harm people. They show a lack of love for our brothers and sisters. And John says, you are a child of the devil if you do not love your brother. We tend to judge our brothers, but John says be careful here because true believers, if they judge, they judge in a way that loves them and loves them enough to see them no longer sin. We're going to talk about that in the next point. Two points. This is evidence that you truly love God. John says this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life. How? Because we love the brothers. Okay, you got to flip to 1 John chapter 3. The first, flip to 1 John chapter 3. Read this verse with me. I, I didn't even need to preach anything I just said. I could have just read this verse. Verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. It's evidence that you've been reborn. Go to 1 John chapter 4 verse 7. 
Let's, let's look at one more verse for this first point. Well, two more. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So if you love one another, that means, oh, you know God. You love God. It goes along with what Chase said last week. You are saved graciously by God's love. Therefore, let us love one another since the evidence of love in our life means that we have indeed been born of God. Notice John says here, this love is from God. The love in which I can love you is God's love. That's the only way, actually, that I can love you. Which is why it is evidence that I've been saved. This has to be evidence of God in us because we cannot love apart from God. If then we cannot love apart from God, if we are loving, it means God is working in us. Hence, this is the evidence. Think fruit of the Spirit. 1 John chapter 5, final place for this point. 1 John chapter 5, flip with me and look at the first three verses. Everyone who believes, verse 1, that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. Okay, now, this is a circular (laughs) argument. The one is feeding the other. Here's what I need to do, ready? Everybody look at me really quick and think in your head, okay, I am ready to labor I'm ready to work here in my mind. You ready to work in your mind? I don't want to lose you. This is powerful. This is a circular effect. Look at verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. But look at verse 1. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Here in chapter 5, Verse 2, John says, We know we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. The two are inseparable. They feed each other. This is a powerful statement, okay? This is the same when we talk about abiding, delighting, and obeying. John is saying this. Here's how you love God. You love each other. Here's how you love each other. You love God. Here's how you love God. You love each other. Here's how you love each other. You love God. Here's how you love God. You love each other. Here's how you love each other. You love God. It's, it's, each one is feeding the other. You know, we talk about abiding, delighting, and obeying constantly. It's the same thing. It's a circular feeding. How do you abide more or how do you obey God? Well, you obey God by delighting in God. Well, how do you delight in God? You abide in God. Well, how do you abide in God? By obeying his command to abide in him. Well, how do you obey his command? By delighting in him. Well, how do you delight in God? Well, you abide in him. Yeah, but how do you abide in him? By obeying him. But how do you obey him? You, deli- you see what I'm doing here? The, it's, it's a circular thing. So you may say, okay, if, if you're smart, you'll go, okay, but where's the beginning? That's a good question. Right? Because the, the chicken, the egg thing, like which one starts first? It's the same thing in the context of that John is saying here. Which one for, comes first? Is it love God and love each other? Because John just said, you'll know you love God if you love each other, and you'll know you love each other if you love God. So which one comes first? And the answer is, God comes first. Not loving God, God happened. Watch, this is what I mean. This is what Chase said yesterday, or last week. When you are saved, you are born of the love of God. God is the beginning. And then as the believer, you now have been given life, 
It's amazing, it's supernatural, it's powerful, and the Spirit immediately causes you to have love for God and love for people. It's the same thing that happens. Well, what's happened first? If, if I really want to be sanctified, should I start abiding? Should I start delighting? Should I start obeying? And the answer is yes. And you will do that because you've been born of the Spirit. And it may look different in all kinds of different ways for different people, but God is the beginning. If you're born of God, it's like you've been given the riches of Christ. That's Ephesians. You are rich in Christ. You've been given everything you need that pertains to life and godliness. So the beginning is God has given you these things because he is all. He is love. Therefore, the beginning is you will love God and you will love each other. And it feeds each other. So the first point, loving one another is evidence that we are in God. Second point, loving one another keeps us abiding in God. It is a means, a method, a tool that God uses to keep you abiding in God. It sustains you. Not only is it the evidence that you are reborn and belong to God, but it is what keeps you abiding in God. Let's look at, again at what John says. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Okay, so if I want to abide in God, I need to walk in the same way that Christ walked. And actually, Chase did a great job last week of revealing that this old yet new commandment was perfected in the life of Christ. That Christ gave himself up. He laid down his life for the saints. He came to seek and save the lost. It was his love that acted. Therefore, we abide in him when we walk in the same manner that Jesus did. I don't need to repeat what Chase said last week. You see the perfect example of this love, this new emphasis, this experience in Christ. Paul says he's laying down his life for the sake of the elect, those who belong to God. If we want to abide in God, we walk in the same manner in which he walked. 1 John 2, verse 6. But look at verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And as we mentioned, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, God is light. So whoever loves his brother abides in God. This is powerful. Notice, notice the order here. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. In other words, it does not say whoever abides in the light loves his brother. Think, 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 think. It does not say whoever abides in the light loves his brother. In other words, because I'm abiding in God, I'm loving my brother. No, it says whoever loves his brother is abiding in God. The cause of abiding is love for our brother. In other words, I abide in God when I love fellow believers. In fact, John says later in 1 John chapter 2, verse 24, let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And Chase showed us last week, John says what was heard from the beginning is that we love one another. And he showed us the beginning, that word beginning is multi-meaning. Beginning, obviously, in the fact that it's always been God's command, but beginning in this context that it was part of our rebirth. When you were reborn, you were given this command and you were given this ability. In Christ, now we can love and we are commanded to love. And John shows again, let the command abide in you so that you will abide in God. If you abide in the command to love one another, that is what will cause you to abide in God. He, if you turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, turn there with me. We've read this before, but let's, let's look at what it says. 
No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Okay, at first glance, it may not seem like this has to do with loving one another. Read the verse again and see if in your head you can think about what this has to do with loving one another. Verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. What does this have to do with loving one another? Well, what is sin? Sin is breaking God's command, right? So John is saying no one born of God makes a practice of breaking God's command, okay? And why? Because God's seed abides in him, the life of Christ, the Holy Spirit. So because we are in in God, in Christ, we cannot keep breaking God's command because we have been born of God. God has put his justice and faithfulness on the line with our sanctification, as we talked about several weeks ago. God will do it in us. But what is the command? What is the command? If no one born of God makes a practice of breaking God's command, what is the command given? Here in 1 John, it's love one another. So John is, the verse could read this. If you look at the totality of this letter, the verse could read this. No one born of God makes a practice of hating his brother because the Spirit of God is in him. He cannot keep hating his brother because he's been reborn. Unless you think, I'm reading too deep into the text, and this is too, uh, I'm grabbing at air for, for this you know, definition. John says this in 1 John chapter 3. Look at verse 23 and 24. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. John says that exact thing. This is how we know he abides in us. The spirit produces this love in us. This is what John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Think back to Galatians chapter 5. The works of the flesh and the works of the spirit. What is the first fruit of the spirit? Love. So if we are born again, we will be sanctified as the spirit works in us and we will abide in God through love. Chapter 4, verse 16. John says, so we have come to know And to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Okay. We're leading somewhere. So let me recap the first two statements. Loving one another is the evidence that we have been born of God. And it is also the means in which we abide in God. Make sense? At least those two sentences. Okay? It is the evidence that we've been born of God... And loving one another is the means in which we abide in God. Point three, my favorite point of the night. And this is based on the, on the title. Loving one another as the means to kill sin. Number three is loving one another prevents stumbling. It keeps us from sinning. And it keeps us from causing others to sin. In fact, the greatest way to love someone is to work with them to keep them from sinning. That's the greatest act of love you can give someone. The greatest act of hate, therefore, is leading people into sin. Or letting people remain in sin. And that is what John says. 
Look at in our text, 1 John chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. In this love, the one who loves his brother and is abiding, this is evidence, in him there is no cause for stumbling. Verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. The greatest way to kill your own sin, John tells us, is to love your brother. Now, again, you might think, well, isn't the greatest way to kill my sin by loving God? See point one and two. This is how you know you love God. You love one another. This is how you know you love one another. You love God, right? So it's, it's synonymous. This is, don't go back to the chicken egg. You get, you get the point, okay? So he's saying this is love. This is how you can kill your own sin. Abiding in love means you are kept from stumbling and you help others not to stumble. This is one of the purposes of our loving. In fact, um, 10 weeks ago, 10 or 11 Sundays ago, I preached a message, Colossians chapter 3, I think the, uh, the first like 12 verses, and I talked about how our sanctification is pointing somewhere. It's pointing to effective ministries. In other words, the reason God is doing a work in you, yes, so he can be glorified, but why are you, I, I, I talk about, why do you exist today? If you've been saved, why don't you just be glorified body? Go to heaven right now. Why are you existing today? Well, Paul tells us that you are an ambassador for Christ. You're a minister of reconciliation. You now exist not to live for yourself, but for him. And so you exist today in order that through your sanctification, you may have effective ministries, loving your brothers and sisters, and finding those people who belong to God and bring them into communion with God. That's why you exist. And so we see here, this is one of the purposes of why we love one another. So that people will stop sinning and not stumble, and so you likewise can not fall into sin. Christ loved God in that he did not break God's commands, and Christ fulfilled God's commands and not sinning because he loved others and led them to not sin. Think about it. This is the greatest act of love, covering a multitude of sin. James chapter 5 shows this, verse 19 through 20. He says, My brothers... If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Love. This is how Jesus loved us. He demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, he died for us in order that we may no longer sin. This is his love. Now think about this. You've got to, you've got to really labor here. It would not be loving if he only forgave us. That would not be loving if he only forgave us and then didn't give us new life, cause us to to no longer make a practice of sinning, if he didn't give us his spirit in order to not sin any longer. And so in the same way, we can't think that the only way we love people is by forgiving people. That's not love. We think, oh yeah, I love the person, I forgave them. That isn't where it ends. True love forgives, and then it runs to the aid of the person who needs forgiveness to keep them from sinning anymore. That is true love. That is how Christ loved. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 through 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And then it doesn't say just forgive one another. It says exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Why? 
so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. True love isn't just about, I want to forgive you. You've wronged me. You've wronged somebody. I forgive you. True love goes a step further and says, I now want to be an active part of your life to where we're working so I'm not falling into sin and you're not falling into sin because I love you. And this is evidence that God is in me because God has done the same thing for me. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. John says in John, 1 John chapter 2, he's writing these things so that they may not sin. This is a letter of love because he's encouraging the believers to understand forgiveness, yes, but also to no longer sin. To not stumble, not cause others to stumble. It gets better. It gets better. It gets really better. More better. So much. Better, better. Better butter. What is the better butter? What is it? Okay. First John chapter 4, verse 11 through 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Look at that last part. His love is perfected in us. His love is perfected in you. What does that mean? What does that look like? How does that play itself out? How, it, it, this is like one of those shocking statements, like when Paul says, I'm fulfilling what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Like you go, there was nothing lacking. His, his atonement was sufficient. What is Paul talking about? In the same way, you could be looking at this text going, what is not perfect about God's love? God doesn't need us for his love to be perfect. And yet he chooses to perfect his love in us. And through us, we see. So what, how does that make sense? Well, if we've been born again, we ought to love one another the way that God has loved us. Through forgiveness and faithfulness and pursuit and relentless grace. God's, God's love, it says, is perfected in us. In other words, crucial to the way we experience God's love is through other believers. I experience God's love in such an incredible way in that when I sin against someone, against God, but it harms someone, I'm forgiven, but also I'm continually loved and helped then by my brother and my sister. This is how God manifests his love to his people today, through the body, through the body. Now, God's, you, 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 think about this, how can you practically experience God's love today, tangibly, right? God's love and, and forgiveness, but also, in, or, um, uh, so, no, so think about this, like if, if you read the word of God, yes, the word of God is sufficient, we've talked about it for five weeks, I get it, so it's, it changes my affections, the Spirit's working inside of me, I experience God's love in all those kinds of ways, but how do I tangibly see and experience this in action? I can read about it, I can have my affections stirred by the Spirit, I can experience that way, but how do I tangibly see the love of God manifested and perfected today? But through people, through the saints. This is what John is saying. There is no cause for stumbling if I abide in him. If I abide in his love and others do, then I experience God's love through believers and they experience God's love through me. I exhort them. They exhort me. I don't just forgive them. I'm engaged in sanctification. They don't just forgive me. They're engaged in my sanctification. This is love. John is saying this is God's love perfected in you. 
One final thing to show this even better, more clearly. This is, the, this is my favorite part. And just so you know, caveat. Scholars, um, what I'm about to say, I'm going to give you both sides. I fall in a 30% pool. Most scholars fall in a 70% pool. Okay, but I actually want to explain um, where they agree, but why I, what I see in this passage, and, I, and you should do research for yourself. I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 5. This is in the context of loving one another as a way to not stumble, cause others to stumble, to kill your own sin. 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. John says this, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Okay? But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. So the one born of God, the one who loves God, practices the truth, loves his brother, as we talked about extensively, this person who shows evidence and is abiding God will not continue to sin, to grow in sin, to practice sin. But he will be protected, and the evil one does not touch him. How? What's the important part of this verse? He who was born of God protects him. This is the split. You know where I'm going. This is the split. Who's the one born of God? Now, let me be... Give me an opportunity to state my case. 70%, maybe a little bit more, of the reading and commentary you will find on this verse says that the one born of God, the one that's protecting those born of God, the one that's protecting from the evil one, over 70% of scholars will say that is Christ. Ultimately, they will say, not because the Greek here has a personal pronoun, not because it's capitalized. In fact, there's uh, only a couple of translation, translations that actually capitalize uh, the one here, the one born of God, protects him from the evil one. So there's, there's a lot of discussion here. Now, you would look at the totality of Scripture, so scholars would say, when you, when you look at John, in John chapter 6 and 10, you know, you see this, you know, he calls them, it's the will of him to go and find uh, those who belong to him, and no one can snatch him out of his hand, so Christ is protecting from the evil one, those who belong to him, right? I think we would all agree that we are not able to not sin apart from Christ, right? So the, the obvious answer here is, the one that is ultimately protecting us and keeping us from sinning is Christ, right? We, we know that. Obvious. That is the foundation. Amen. Christ himself became our sanctification, Paul says. God himself will sanctify you completely. We know that we're protected because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So I, I'll be very clear. I understand, and this is why scholars are, are, are careful here. I get that none of us has the power in and of ourselves to protect ourselves from the devil or others from the devil or to not continue to sin. You get, you get my point? Make sense? But I'm not necessarily alone here. If I was alone, I actually spent a lot of time today making sure I wasn't alone. If I was alone, I wouldn't share it. <laughs> John, this is in the context of the letter of John. And when you read this, he who was born of God protects him. Well, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, 
It says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Nowhere else in any of John's writings does it refer to Jesus as the one being born of God. FYI. And there is no distinction. And if you look at this verse, 1 John chapter um, 5, verse 18, in the first part, everyone who has been born of God, and the next part, he who is born of God, the born of God, that part is the same verb. It just has a different ending based on one is plural, one is not. But it doesn't exp- expressively say or refer to Christ. And John nowhere else uses Christ to be born of God. So when I look at the totality of this letter, and again, it's very important here that you understand what I'm saying. I mean, I'm going to clarify this one more time, then I'm going to tell you the point. None of us has the ability in and of ourselves outside of Christ, who is our sanctification, the Holy Spirit, to protect or to keep others from falling into sin. It is the love of God and God's work in us. Glory to be God. He alone gets all the glory, the work, uh, or, uh, and the praise for sanctification, justification, all of that. But when I look at this text, John's concern is that you love one another. It's all over the five chapters. This is how we know you are in God, you love God, you are born of God, that you love one another. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So when I look at this text, I see that God uses believers to help and aid in other believers' lives so that they may not sin and they may be protected from the evil one. You and me. We see, and by the way, this is not out of context of what John is saying. It's why I used 1 John 4, 11 through 12 first. God's love is being perfected in you. Think about that. I mean, think about that statement. God's love is being perfected in you. Well, how would it be perfected in you in the cause of loving one another? Well, it would be perfected in you by you aiding in your brothers and sisters' sanctification and fighting with them against sin. So I look at this and I see that one of the most beautiful things about loving one another is that it empowers you by God's grace and his Holy Spirit's power because of Christ's life who is our wisdom and sanctification and redemption. Amen. We have been given this gracious command to love one another. And loving one another is the evidence that we've been born of God It is also the means in which we abide in God. And this love is perfected in us in order that through the saints, we may be protected from sin, evil. We may be forgiven and freed to sin no more. And finally, number four, just briefly. Loving one another reveals God's will. If you look back at our main text, verse 11. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness does not know where he was going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So we see that when we walk in darkness, we walk in hatred. That's what it is. We're blind to love. And therefore, we are unable to know where we should walk. The contrast here is found in chapter 2, verse 17, that whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is the one who is in light, John says. Light has come into the world, we know, but men loved what? Darkness. 
But those who have been born of God abide in God through his love and therefore do the will of God. Hating our brothers is darkness and it is the will of the devil. Loving God and others is the will of God. And this is what God has called us to do. John gives this as a practical challenge in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. He says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So there we see that the will of God thrusts us into loving action. We cannot have this love or confidence if we do not act on this love. Love isn't a knowing there's a need and then talking about it. Love is seeing a need and acting on it. And this, the point of this is, this is the will of God. Think about the struggle we face in order to know God's will. We ask questions. I, I talked about this um, when we talked about cultivating a biblical worldview last year. When you think about you know, messages on God's will for your life or questions of I'm, I'm laboring, I'm praying to seek what God's will is, sometimes we make that way more specific um, or temporary or selfish, even unknowingly, than we actually realize. We ask questions like, well, where, am I sh- where should I live? And by the way, I believe that God's will reveals where we should live. Right? I do. Who should I marry? Well, I believe God's will reveals who we should, we should marry. There's wisdom in those things. But, but we make God's will about these things. Where should I live? What house should I buy? What car should I buy? Uh, you know, these are all really selfish questions when that's the motive. Because we're thinking about me, my best life, what's going to bring me happiness. And it's, it's mainly focused on this earth. You don't typically find people going, what is God's will for my life? How can I be the most sanctified? How can I be the most thankful How can I rejoice always? But Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that the will of God, he says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see no one repays anyone evil for evil, always seek to do good to one another and to everyone, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's the will of God. What's the will of God? Encourage. Help. Be patient. Forgive. Do good to one another. What, What are all these acts? They're acts of love to one another. This is how Jesus lived. This is how Jesus loved. Jesus said he came to do the will of him who sent him. And what was that? John 6, 39. This is the will of him who sent me, Jesus says, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. God's will for Jesus was to save to the uttermost all those whom the Father had given him. It was a selfless mission. Jesus often, if you remember, didn't have a place to lay his head. He often didn't have a roof over his head. He often missed meals. He didn't have the nicest donkey in town, right? Whatever, whatever. He didn't have the Ferrari donkey. You know what I'm saying? Not, by the way, not that anything of those things in and of themselves is sinful, but when we look at the life of Christ, when we look at the will of God for Christ, and how we too, our will is to do the will of him who sent us, created us, called us. When we look at scripture, like in the chapter before 1 Thessalonians 5, in verse chapter 4, it says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. And listen, the point of John's letter is your sanctification is selfless. 
It's, it's beautiful. It's for your own joy. I mean, who doesn't overcome sin or find themselves looking at temptation and then by God's grace saying, no thanks, I find more joy in God. And then you kind of go and you're like, woo! You know what I mean? Like my heart is full. And, you, and, you, and sanctification brings joy. You're going, oh yeah. It is sweeter to taste the word of God than it is to taste the fill in the blank. And when you experience those moments, your heart is full of joy. But this sanctification ultimately is selfless in that it brings glory to God. And God is doing this in you so that people may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's the point of sanctification. It's pointing somewhere. You exist to glorify God. And one of the ways that manifests itself today, God's love being perfected in you, is that you love one another. So much so that you are massively active in helping other people be sanctified. Pointing to others, which really points to God. So when we look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 7 through 11, We see loving one another is the evidence that we have been born of God. And it is also the means in which we abide in God. And this love is perfected in us in order that through the saints we may be protected from evil and sin. We may be forgiven and freed to sin no more. For it is when we produce the fruit of love and abide in God in such a way that we exhort the saints that we ultimately fulfill the will of God in our lives. And as John says, this is no new commandment. And he is writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So, love. Love one another. We're going to go to small groups tonight. And um, what we'll do is, same thing, Chase, right? So we'll, yeah. This side can go with juice. The Fellowship Hall, is that cool with you? This side can stay in here with Tyler. And hopefully we'll have some good discussion this evening. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll go into small groups. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be together this evening, to open your word. I pray for fruitful discussion now. We don't, one of the reasons we do small groups, Lord, is because we don't want to just then run out of here and not think and reflect and hear from others about um, what we've just discussed. So I, I pray that there would be great conversation, God-glorifying conversation. I pray that you would be exalted and we would be encouraged um, through our love for one another. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.